0: Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. The Kinky Cast is heard in over 150 countries. This week's episode is 238. In our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships... Views expressed are not representative of the management of the Kinky Cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we present Poison Ivy, Therapy and Discovery in the Scene, A Personal Journey. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for loads of information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com. Here's your host, The Beast.
1: Thank you, Max. And we're here for another edition of the Kinky Cast. This week, we're down in the Lone Star State with the lovely poison and Ivy. (laughs) Hi there. Hello, Ivy. Uh, Hi. (laughs) Texas kink is all over the place down there, isn't it?
2: It really is. It really, really is. Um, What I'm really finding about the area that I'm in specifically, though, the DFW area, is that we're very, like, rope-centric, which I really, really love, but there are so many different people, different groups, different sort of diversities of kink here that really everybody can get fed with what they want or what they need, you know, or what they love.
1: And that is fantastic. And uh, rope rope centric is becoming a calm in so many communities of late.
2: Oh, absolutely. It really is. But it's, I I think it's just because it's so versatile. Like you can really just do so much with rope, with bondage in general, that I I think everybody's sort of drawn to it in a
1: way. Well, and I think that it's uh, considered a comfortable, safe um, gateway kink because it's not violent like flogging or. What
2: kind of flogging do you do? Ooh.
1: Oh, uh, <laughs> you haven't seen my 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 profile. I play with barbar.
2: Oh, barbed wire! That's yeah. I'm a big blood player, so I really want to do some fun things with barbed wire. I have plans. I have plans.
1: Well, we did a great scene a while back. You can get thin gauge barbed wire from Amazon. Mm-hmm. It's it's smaller in size, more flexible, just as sharp, mm-hmm. just as pokey, but you can get it from Amazon. And we laced her to the equipment. Using the uh, barbed wire. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, so she had several pokies from that. (laughs) And not to mention uh, limited mobility if she didn't want to get more pokies. Oh, yeah. And then we proceeded to do a sound spanking with a barbed wire cane.
2: Wow. Oh, that had to be amazing.
1: Oh, it was. It was. It was my. Third or fourth time playing with barbed wire, so. Uh, But the Amazon trick is a new one, and I highly liked it. So.
2: Okay. Well, I will have to look into that for sure.
1: Yeah. Though the the farm grade barbed wire is wonderful stuff. It's so hard to work with. Yeah. It's just stiff. And they call this arts and craft barbed wire. I don't know how those two come together.
2: (laughs) Arts and crafts barbed wire. That's my kind of arts and crafts. (laughs) You
1: are a perverted woman.
2: I am I absolutely am, I always have been
1: <laughs> always so where how how did you find us?
2: um it, I actually had been kinky for the longest time, but I didn't really know what it was called um so i I can honestly say, like when I was a child is when I can really trace back where my kink began. So I remember watching, you know, cartoons or like shows or something where somebody would be tied up or, you know, Tweety Bird is like bashing Sylvester with a frying pan. And I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. You know, and I don't know why I would feel that way, but it just it would get me excited, you know, and it was like, oh, I want to know what it's like to, you know, be tied against the railroad tracks. That's kind of cool. (laughs) <laughs> so I started thinking kinky very young, and I have no idea like where it all came from, but it's just always been there. It's always been with me.
1: Wow. How long have you been on this journey?
2: When I really started delving into it and looking at what I need in my life, I definitely embraced that I needed kink in my life. And that was probably about two years ago that I really officially was like, this is a thing. This isn't just on the weekends. It's not just that I like rough sex. I mean, you know, rough sex is great, but I needed more. So two years ago is really when I kind of stepped out and began to learn more about who I am and, what I am and what I like and how to incorporate kink into my life in a healthy way.
1: You had always been uh, the rough girl. Yeah.
2: I have five brothers. I will always be the rough girl. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, what was it like, though, trying to convert your, uh, your sex partners before you found out that there was a whole kinky world out there?
2: I don't know. I feel like I just sort of attracted those people you know i i just remember you know i would be with somebody i'd have a girlfriend or i'd have a boyfriend and i was like oh you know we should do this and they're like fuck yeah we should do this <laughs> so you know then i would be sitting there like you know and they'd be choking me and i'm you know coming and it's just all great and stuff and it was never something that was like no that's weird we shouldn't do that thing so maybe i just always sort of attracted like the kinky people in my life, but I never really knew what it was called until one of my friends was like, Oh, you're, you're kinky. You should look at fat life. And I'm like, I, okay. And so I finally look at it and I'm like, Oh, this is a thing. This isn't just me liking this stuff. People like this
1: stuff. <laughs> and game was, was on.
2: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's been on ever since.
1: <laughs> you have been a uh, very prolific in your writings on on fat mm-hmm. a lot of writings and we appreciate those and that's what what first drew you to me uh my significant other points you out and i said oh oh interesting <laughs> and the topic of a lot of your writings is about mental and emotional health mm-hmm. and how is that and kink how do you balance the two
2: it wasn't easy when I started off my journey a, a couple of years ago, I was very broken. I was very just in pieces. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was. I didn't know how to be in public around people without freaking out. And that is because I have um chronic PTSD and I also have major depressive disorder. Those things mixed with, you know, anxiety disorders and, you know, just other social disorders. Um, it really made it difficult for me to get out of there and explore it. And that's why I think it took me up until a couple of years ago to really jump into the DFW community here to learn about things like that. So I actually met, um, a couple people. And they saw how broken I still was from my abuse that caused my PTSD. And they encouraged me to go talk to a therapist, you know, and I did not for a while. And finally I did. And since then, my life has completely flipped around. And there are a lot of people that say that they will, you know, use kink as a form of therapy. And it can be therapeutic, but... Me going to a therapist, me talking about these feelings, me getting it out there, me working through it has opened doors for me in my own personal life, in my vanilla life, in my kink life. And the journey that I've gone on to accept who I am and to become this person that I am now that is able to really open up about mental issues and mental health I would not have ever been able to do that if it hadn't been that first step of me going to talk to a person, going to talk professionally to somebody that is there just for me to get all of those feelings out, to work through all those
1: feelings. It is amazing that the Vanillas often don't understand that we, you know, we have this violent personas in many parts of our our kink culture. Mm-hmm. And it's about power exchange and all sorts of, of intense relationship types. But there's this caring, supportive styles that, oh, yeah. that run, that is so, so strong. And those people that kept encouraging you, encouraging you to get the help that you needed. I don't know that that happens in the vanilla, the vanilla setting quite the same way.
2: Um, I, yeah, I think it can happen. I think people as a whole, I mean, people say that a lot, that this happens a lot with men specifically, that they're told, don't feel your feelings, keep your feelings on the inside, don't feel this stuff, and it, it kind of happens in, the vanilla setting a lot, because that was one of those things growing up where it was like, Oh, well, we don't talk about the bad things. We don't talk about the, you know, the things that happened in the dark in the closet, you know, like that's not what we talk about. We only talk about, you know, this other shiny rainbow part of life over here. And so, you know, I definitely can see that a little bit in vanilla, but over the years, I feel a lot of people have really opened up to that, like, Hey, let's take the stigma out of mental health issues, you know, or let's take the stigma out of sicknesses that people can have with their brains, you know, and I think that that has also been something that's been very encouraging to kinky people and vanilla people, but I I definitely get what you mean, though. It's, It's a little bit more suppressive, maybe, in the vanilla area of
1: life. Well, I think that, and and maybe because of my uh, number of years I've been a kinkster, that I f- kind of forget what vanilla is sometimes.
2: <laughs> it's, it's a really good flavor of ice cream. <laughs> I've
1: been at this as a public player in the community since 94. Okay. And uh, like you, I was kinky for many years before that in my private life, so. <laughs> um, yeah. The therapist that you have found, you had this unique balance between um, finding a kink-aware therapist. That How did that go?
2: The therapist that I found wasn't kink-aware until I was like, hey, so I need to get some help with some things in my life and in my past, and I need to lay these things out for you right here, right now. And if you think you can help me, then let's do this. If you don't think you can help me, then like, I'm okay with going somewhere else. And she was like, okay, lay it on me. So I was like, I am kinky. These are the things that I am into. These are some of the things that I like. I'm not going to go into horrible details about that. I am polyamorous. I have multiple partners that I absolutely love and I adore. And some of them are going to come in and out of my life while I'm in therapy with you. And that's just going to happen. You know, I just kind of laid out everything about me that's sort of the abnormal outside of the typical, you know, vanilla that maybe therapists see. And she just, she sat there for a couple minutes and she just kind of took it all in. She thought about it. She wrote down some notes and she was like, I have never had anybody before that is kinky. I've never had anybody before that's polyamorous. I've never had anybody before that is, you know, dealt with the amount of different things in your life that you've dealt with. But, like, why would I run away from that? Let's learn. Let's do this together. Let's learn together. And she was always a very big advocate for me to explore more of the things that I wanted and more of the things that I loved in kink. And, like, willing to learn about that as well. Willing to, okay, well, I don't really know what that is but I'm going to look into that. And in our next session, then we can talk about that. Cause I don't really know what you're talking about right now. And she was just amazing. Absolutely amazing. So it's like, I, I turned a non kink aware therapist into a kink aware therapist. And it was really just kind of perfect the way it worked out because she was just willing to jump in head first.
1: And that is amazing. I, yeah. I, I applaud her for her uh, boldness and, and uh, eagerness to learn this alternative culture mm-hmm. that we found ourselves in PTSD. Yes, you are a sadomasochist.
2: <laughs> I am.
1: <laughs> and PTSD. Um, those seem to be a that seems to be a, a edge play. Just being in a, in a dungeon for some people. That's edge play. How do you do it?
2: Well, one, uh, I actually, me and one of my partners, we teach classes and we actually teach a class about edge play. And essentially, like the conclusion is it, of it is edge play doesn't exist because everybody's edges are different, you know, or maybe edge play is whatever you want it to be. So me going into a dungeon, me going into a play party, me going into something like that, there are things absolutely that is like, oh, I'm not okay with that. And so I don't put myself in those situations, you know, or I don't stick around for those things. But being in therapy, I talked about my trauma over and over and over and over until it became this thing that almost was like urethral. Like I didn't know if it was real anymore to a point because I had just talked it to death. And so I became almost numb to it. And so those things that you know, used to sort of freak me out or whatever, they don't really freak me out anymore. So I can go into a dungeon, you know, and I can see things that may have happened to me in my traumas. And I don't look at it the same way, because I know what's happening is consensual. And I know what happened to me was not consensual. And I'm able to differentiate now. And that is just You know, that was me doing a lot of work, me doing a lot of internal work, me doing a lot of thinking about myself and working through those feelings that I had buried inside of myself for so long.
1: And the first trip to the dungeon, what kind of minefield was that? Oh my
2: God, I just cried. That's all I did. I just cried because I did not know how to be around people. It was it was really sad. Um I just kind of like cuddled up in a corner and like held on to the um girl that brought me and was just like I'm not I'm not moving. This is just what I'm going to do and I just cried and I left and it was a mess. The first time I went to a dungeon it was a mess, but it was because of the people. I mean, I just didn't know how to be in a group of people. I didn't know how to assimilate because I just had this huge fear of being hurt by random strangers. I don't know. Like I I can't even explain it at this point anymore. It was just, you know, a, a huge social anxiety is what I had. But over time, you know, you, you start to see the same people, you start to get to know people. So it becomes a little bit more comfortable for you to, be in the dungeon or in this, you know, rope dojo or wherever it was. And so after a while, it was just like knowing people around me just made it more comfortable.
1: Uh, Because a dungeon cannot carry a trigger warning because it's one big trigger. Oh, yeah. There is always somebody to be triggered by something in the dungeon. Every time it's open, that's just the risk that that one takes. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're between your first and second visits between my
2: first and second visits. Like what what changed or
1: how long and what changed?
2: Um, it was probably two weeks and it was just, I, you know, I would, I decided I wasn't going to be afraid, you know? And so I went to the dungeon the first time and I was like, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to do this. And I was afraid and it's okay to fail and it's okay to be scared. And it was okay for me to cry the whole time. And I was like, okay, well maybe the next time I won't cry as much. And I still cried and I still was, you know, weirded out and stuff, you know, but there are people that were around me and the people in the DFW community area are so sweet and accepting. And, you know, they they see like this scared person, they're like, hey, you know, it's okay. If you just wanna sit here and watch, like we're gonna do this thing. Do you wanna maybe just sit here and watch? And I'm like, okay, sure, why not? And, you know, it just, it gives you this opportunity to like, hey, nobody's going to touch you or mess with you. You can just sit here. And uh, then I left and decided, okay, I'm going to try this again. I'm going to do better again. And I swear it's going to happen. <laughs> but it, it was really just an internal thing for me. It was very much a, I'm going to conquer this. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to be controlled by my past. So we're just going to keep going. And eventually, I waltzed in there and was like, "Hey, what's up, bitches?" <laughs> <laughs> and now I know a whole bunch of people. <laughs>
1: and and learning to be vulnerable, and how did that come about? I mean, you are you 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 have this uh, this issue that you you can be triggered by things, and yet in play we become very vulnerable to our partners, oftentimes and. How did how did you uh, handle those feelings?
2: Um, I, at first, I really was not allowing myself to be vulnerable. I always kind of had a, a wall up. And it was one of my, my current partners, him and I were playing one day. And I just let go. I don't know what it was going on internally with me. But we were doing fire wanding. And he looks me in the eyes and he says, stick out your tongue. And without thinking, I just stick my tongue out. And he puts the fire wand straight on my tongue. And there was not one moment in there where I was scared, where I questioned, where I had any kind of fear. It was just one day I was able to be vulnerable with one person. And from there, I started to really be able to open up with more people and be vulnerable with other people because I had this catalyst. I had this person that, Oh, I can trust a person. That means I can trust other people. And it's a very, very selective and it's a very long process, but I figured out like the key to how to be vulnerable and it's in the people that you choose and sin, you choose to trust. And that was, that was really a big, big turning point for me,
1: so you're two years or so out-hmm, and the journey's continuing. what is in the future? What is in the future? I don't know
2: um, I have been like I said, one of my partners and I we uh we have some classes that we do together and we're actually teaching at a conference coming up here in Dallas, and I think that's really where I want to go with my journey moving forward is talking about, you know, different S&M skills and teaching those as well as eventually, I really do want to dive into something like we're talking about right now, talking about mental illness, you know, and talking about how to move through kink with a mental illness, you know, and not having people try to shame you for that or try to say that it's not okay for you to do or say that you're broken and that's why you're wanting to do kink or you were abused. And so now you're just looking for more abuse because that's what you're used to. You know, I want to be somebody that can say, Hey, like, it's okay that you feel this way. Let's talk about this. Let's work through this. Let's, you know, try to figure out what could be holding you back or what could be holding you know, anybody back from wanting to explore those limits in an emotionally and mentally safe way.
1: That is the key, um, emotional and physical safe way. Yeah. Because any fringe community, any fringe community is going to attract a disproportionate number of broken people. People that are struggling because the larger society, they don't fit there. So they're always trying to find where they do fit. Mm -hmm. and uh, so we do get a disproportionate number, and it's great that we got people like you that are understanding and welcoming.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, and I wouldn't, you know, have been able to get where I am if there weren't people who are like that whenever I came into the scene. You know, there are people that are like, hey, you know, it's okay that you have depression. A lot of people have depression. Like, you can't let that control you, go get some medication, you know, and then like, let's talk about this and very supportive. And so now that's what I really try to be. I try to be that person that is supportive, and that pushes people to get the help that they need. You know, one of my friends actually today was like, I'm having these really bad feelings. And, you know, I'm having these different kinds of thoughts. And so you know, I really helped her get to, you know, this place that she was able to reach out for help, you know, and she was able to get some help that she needed. And it's because there's not a lot of people that are willing to, you know, jump in there and get into that messy, emotional, mental place with you. But there are those gems, you know, and I found that for sure. And I want to be that for sure. Those people that will do that.
1: Well, I think we need, every community needs those, those conduits to connect uh, the struggling person with the help that they need and it is a messy job sometimes it's very messy (laughs) i applaud you for your for your work thank you it's been great having you poison ivy
2: (laughs) it has been very fun i really enjoyed talking about this so thank you
1: thank you Listeners, we've been with Paul's and Avi from Texas. You can look at the uh, page, and there'll be some more links there. Thank you for listening.
0: You have been listening to episode 238 of The Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. Join us next week when we present Cat on Chastity.